Hello again, friends, and welcome to the Young Anglican Podcast. The Young Anglican Podcast is a place for conversation and discussion about ministry to teenagers through the lens of Anglicanism. It's hosted by me, Andrew Unger, and me, Eric Overholt. We're both real-life Anglican youth pastors who want to see young people find and follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. We're glad you're with us. And this episode, we didn't decide what this episode was going to be brought to you by. We say brought to you by as if we have sponsors, and we really don't. Well, so, I mean, Young Anglicans is kind of sponsoring us, so... They did buy this microphone. Yeah. So, I guess we're brought to... This episode is brought to you by Young Anglicans. They bought our <laughs> microphone. Thanks, Young Anglicans. <laughs> Shout out to Stephen Ty, Canon for Youth Ministry for the Anglican Church in North America. Yeah, we should probably mention again the Provincial Youth Gathering, which if you haven't signed up by now for the Provincial Youth Gathering, you are in danger of snoozing and therefore losing. So you should definitely plan to join us and be in Dallas from June 17th through the 22nd. It's going to be a conference slash missions trip combined. We're going to have great speakers. We're going to be visited to and ministered to by uh, Archbishop uh, Kwashi from Nigeria, as well as Archbishop Foley Beach, our very own Archbishop here in the ACNA. There's going to be lots of fun games. There's going to be worship. There's going to be a whole prayer room. It's going to be, uh, there's going to be something for everybody. Um, all three streams of Anglicanism will be well represented, well represented. Um, it's all happening at a hotel. You know, the, the hotel is going to be kind of our home base there uh, in Dallas. Uh, the I can't remember the name of the hotel, and I don't want to misspeak, so I'm not going to say that. And but, let's be honest, Adam, as Adam told us last episode, cramming all your kids in a van and driving them across the country is ministry enough. So just use us, use this gathering as an excuse to put your kids in a van and yeah. watch relationships bloom. Yeah. Yeah, torture them into relationships together. Strictly platonic, though. Strictly <laughs> yeah. platonic relationships will, will bloom. We do not endorse any making out at Young Anglicans events. <laughs> so, anyway, <laughs> join us at the Provincial Youth Gathering in Dallas this summer. We'll talk about making out on another podcast. <laughs> That's for another day. I have some opinions about that. So, but today... Speaking of teenagers, um, what we want to talk about today is um, identity formation. So the tasks of adolescence, becoming becoming an adult and not a child, have to do with um, affinity with who you belong to and with autonomy, how you can exert your influence on the world. But identity is a big part of it. Um, and what got us thinking about this topic was the popularity of the Enneagram. And it's sort of the cool new thing among um among Christians. Eric, you have not done, figured out your Enneagram number. No, I, ha I have not traveled on that road back to me as of yet. <laughs> um, so I, I've heard a lot about it. Uh, I have, I have some like vague thoughts about where I might fit in that Enneagram scale. What do you call it? The Enneagram, whatever. Um, it's not a pentagram. It's, a, it's like a nonogram, right? Cause yeah. it's nine. Yeah. Nine sided. Circle. So whatever, what, what, whatever that Enneagram chart diagram thingy majigger dealy is, I have some general ideas where, where I might fit, but I don't know enough to, to be willing to share what I think my Enneagram number is. Oh. So 
Anyway. Don't want to share the deep secrets of your heart just yet. <laughs> That's yeah. all right. And that probably says something about my Enneagram number. Oh, it probably that, does. That I want to have it right before I, I tell you what it is. Yeah. I'll be honest. I have found my introduction to the Enneagram was through um, my my wife who went through some of that with her spiritual director. And I'd heard lots of people talk about it. And I found it really helpful and beneficial um, apparently there's like a whole world of like overhyped Enneagram people who like are over fixated on it. And that's created a sort of backlash of people who are too cool for the Enneagram and they call it astrology for Christians. And <laughs> I feel like complaining about everybody being too excited about the Enneagram is the new too excited about the Enneagram. <laughs> My social media is filled with people who are like, mm, I'm too good for that. Like, All right. <laughs> If you don't want to know about the inner desires of your heart and how to grow in Christ, that's on you. But which um, I got to be honest, all of this sounds so incredibly millennial to me. But that that's <laughs> probably not okay for me to say that. Do you do you count as are you Gen X? Is that what you are? Uh, yeah, I'm like I'm like right on the border, right? So I, yeah. I can I yeah I'm I I find myself able to flip flop back and forth. You're a third culture kid of the generations. Yeah. 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 Well, somewhere there in the middle. So I think Enneagram and Myers-Briggs, they're the kind of things that people can overhype and make more, more significant than they are. I actually want to not talk too much about that because I, from people who, who write about the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs typically say adolescents should not go through assessments. Like it's, I even think it's unethical to have minors take an official Myers-Briggs assessment because they're still in formation and they're still figuring out who they are. Um, and same with the Enneagram. I've, the, and, and, and the idea being that if, if you put a label on them at age 15 or 16 or, or whatever, that that's somehow the end becomes the means. Like they, yeah. they start finding themselves trying to conform to this label that that's been put on them. I, I think that's part of it. And it's just unhelpful because they're still becoming like they're still in the metamorphosis of adolescence and so to say like this is who you are is ultimately unhelpful because i mean both of them are not meant to be like this is who i am so deal with it it's meant to be this is how i understand myself and so that helps me do self-reflection understand how i relate to others um and adolescents just aren't finished doing that work right becoming who they're becoming Um, right so I wanted to use that as sort of a, a way to rope people into our podcast so we can talk about <laughs> useful identi- identity formation in youth ministry. Um, uh-huh. Eric, have you seen students who like shift identities over their tenure in youth ministry? Like, have you noticed students who like are one way as sixth graders and are totally different by the time they're sophomores or, you know, there's sort of that stereotype of the, of the, teenager who like tries on different things and they're into punk now and they're into you know this later um what's yeah. your experience with that kind of identity shift yeah i i haven't seen anything any major shift like that um i, I i've i've run into students who i mean their their identity is forming their yeah. their tastes and their flavors are, are are adapting and changing and you know the the student who didn't have any idea about drama in sixth grade who's now like a total drama geek as yeah. he goes into high school uh, that I've seen that kind of thing and I've also seen 
on the older end of things, I've seen a student who was really way into like international geopolitics hmm. in this really strange way and uh, was trying to trying to go to school overseas and had put all his eggs in that basket and it didn't work out. And it like the kind of identity crisis that that yeah. became for him. Uh, but that was on, that was on the older side of the spectrum, you know, as, as he made the transition into college. But I, so no, uh, the, the short, shorter answer to that is no, I haven't seen any like dramatic shifts sure. in, in students' identities. Yeah. I think as I try and reflect on students in my, in my youth ministry and ones who have graduated, um, I think a narrative that's easier for me to to sort of place in several students' lives is like at some point they discover their thing. Um, mm. um, and I don't have as many who sort of discovered their thing and then abandoned it. Um, but like, it's like at some point they kind of realize, oh, this is the thing of who I am or this is what I love to do. Um, and that's how they discover sort of what they want to do, what they want to be. Um, you know, we have this toxic sense in America of, tying identity to vocation right the that even vocation and career how you make your money and how you find fulfillment and meaning have to be the same thing um mm. <laughs> essentially saying to every blue collar worker like you need to either <laughs> like love plumbing or <laughs> not be a plumber and maybe you just do plumbing because you're good at it but also you're yeah. a volunteer anyways um and I also see there's a there's an awesome subreddit called um, Blunder Years where people who are adults share pictures of themselves in their like awkward teenage phase, um, and it's a lot of people. There's a lot of people who were um, scene kids in the in the late first decade. Um, for those of you who weren't in youth ministry or don't remember, scene kids were like it's like fluorescent goth for lack of a better term. Like it sort of looked kind of gothish, but there was this like very bright colors to it um it, okay. it sort of bubbled to i the have popular never heard surface. of this it sort of bubbled to the popular surface if you imagine like avril lavigne when she was in her heyday like fluorescent hair but kind of like dark clothing but like yeah 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 like okay. i imagine like a black t-shirt um for girls like leggings that are black and white striped with like a bright pink tutu on top of it yeah right and right. like tons of neon bracelets on their arms and there's a there's a music to it too very few people are like 25 year old scene people right they uh -huh. all get to be 25 and find those pictures of themselves and cringe and then share them on reddit and we all laugh and like ah i remember when we were like that um so i see some of that where like high school identity was really wrapped up in a particular style um mm. things like that um but then people grow up and go to college or do something else um I'm interested in all, in all of that because part of what we do in youth ministry is help students find their identity in Christ. And so as we're helping them discover who they are, um, figuring out what it looks like to say, what does that mean to have your faith as a central part of this identity formation instead of just one of the things you try on in adolescence? Um, and so I wrestle with that a lot. Um, have you seen, have you seen any of your students graduate and sort of discard their faith, not out of a, not out of a serious crisis of faith, but out of a like, yeah, that's a thing I was and now I'm not anymore. Have you ever seen yeah. that? 
Um, no, actually, I, I've actually been blessed in the other direction. Like some students that I was like, yeah, the world is going to grab hold of them once they get to college. Yeah. And, and, you know, actually came back from college and it was, they were referring to themselves as a Jesus follower hmm. or a Christian. Yeah. And was really surprised in that way. What, what I have seen more along the lines of what you're talking about are the, the students who have, who have struggled to find themselves, who have struggled to mm. figure out what, what it, what is it that I have to contribute to the world? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, that's hard to know exactly how to speak into that. Um, at, at this, because I can tell them, well, your identity should be in Jesus and who you are is someone who's loved by God and right. all these kinds of things. But ministering that in such a way that it actually lands and it, it, it gets past their ears and really into their heart, into the core of who they are, is the challenge. And I'm still, I'll admit, I'm still figuring that out on some level. And it's probably a lot slower than, than I want it to be. Yeah, I think part of my own thinking and how to do this um, relates to why I want confirmation to be at a younger age rather than a high school age. Because for me, in order to try and combat Christianity as the thing I try on this week, because um, I look at my, at my own age peers, people I went to youth group with, people who were in youth group shortly after, I was in youth group when I was interning and sort of going through college. Um, lots of kids who were like super on fire and then super not just a, a decade later. Um, so in, in trying to figure out how to help it be something more foundational than just the thing I'm really into right now, I think it's got to be a slow burn and I think it's got to be done gradually and in a way that makes sense to real life. When you mentioned, like, I can tell them that their identity is someone loved by God, my immediate reaction was like, okay, but how do you, how do you show them that? Like, how do you, like, those are words, and you can say that, and then do the yeah. youth pastor, like, just feel it, feel that you're loved by God, just did, believe this. You know, I did a lesson on the love of God a few weeks ago for my youth group, and I just went, it was after a retreat, so I was sort of, I had already done two lessons at the retreat, Sunday school the morning of, and then youth group that night. So I was sort of burnt out of material, um, but I had prepared basically saying, I'm just going to list to you all the ways the Bible talks about God's love, um, and we're just going to kind of overwhelm you. It's going to be a shotgun approach. I'm just going to say this stuff, um, because we talk a lot about how to live the Christian life, but I just want to speak to this reality. And I think it was good and good to hear that kind of stuff. But at some point, um, when you make a big sell like that, and if a student isn't feeling loved by God, if they don't feel like that identity is there, it could even like pour gasoline on the fire, as it right. were. Like it's basically, then they go like, well, yeah, but I don't feel loved by God. I don't feel like that. Right. Um, and this is where, for me, part of that slow burn is why I'm trying to build more contemplative practices into my youth ministry. I think next year, um, my goal is to like once a month have youth group be not curricular where I'm teaching them content, but have something like walking a prayer labyrinth, doing Lectio Divina, doing the examine, doing stuff where I don't get to have control over what they hear from God. I'm just trusting that the spirit does some work having them hear from God. And the way I think that's going to help with identity formation, <laughs> tune into the podcast in two years and I'll tell you how it worked out. <laughs> right. um, 
<laughs> the the way I think it's going to help, or my theory is, is that, um, is that in doing contemplative practices and showing them a lived out faith and helping them have a rule of life and doing this slow burn way of approaching faith formation, what it'll do is it'll slowly build a foundation so that as they try on different things, as they figure out, I'm really into geopolitics or I'm really into that, um, we don't have to then immediately respond and say, okay, but how do you do that in a Christian way? Because hopefully underneath they will have been formed by a sort of low-level foundation of, okay, I'm already bringing my daily experiences in the examine to God and say, God, where did I feel you close to me? I'm already listening to Scripture and looking for God to speak to me through the text in Lectio Divina and not just looking for what's the objective meaning of this text. I'm already walking the prayer labyrinth. Like, I'm already doing these things, um, and hopefully through the liturgy and through the church year, Hopefully, the advantage of being Anglican is we don't, we can lay that groundwork. We have all the tools to to help them understand their lives as part of a life in Christ and their identity is in Christ, sort of irrespective of the sweeping changes of their life otherwise. Um, and that doesn't have to be as a sort of ideological separate from their life otherwise, but sort of foundational underneath. So my hope for my students, at least is that by doing contemplative practices as doing some of these, I mean, eventually when they're college students, I'd want them to do an Enneagram thing. I'd want to lead them through that discernment process. But as high schoolers and middle schoolers, as they're forming their identity, not to say like, oh, I'm, I'm a nine and I know I avoid conflict, but I want them to say like, okay, I recognize that I am impatient and mm. I see that as part of who I am and I'm asking for God to help me work on that. Or... You know, I'm I'm doing these regular readings, and over time I can look back and see what God did. Um, yeah, I feel like I built a lot of youth ministry on slow burn moments. I'm bad at mountaintop experiences. I'm bad at the, like, big emotional prayer gathering. Um, yeah. But I focus on that slow burn as part of identity formation. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, as you're talking about all this, the, the thing that's coming to my mind is blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is mm. the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And Jesus message to us that uh, if you would, anyone who would save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Mm -hmm. And anyone who would come after me and be my disciple must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So, and this is something I've been, I've been thinking about a lot lately what we're inviting teenagers into ultimately is that before they've even really lived, we're telling them to die. We're, yeah. we're, we're leading them to die uh, on behalf of Jesus. And that's, that's a really hard, not a hard sell, right? Because, because ultimately what we're, we're telling them is if you want to truly live, you have to give up yourself. You have to give up yourself. But, but on some level, if we're going to be, for someone to really encounter Jesus and to come, to come into, into that life of Christ, that life of following Christ, if they want to be a part of his kingdom, to come under his lordship, part of what's going to be required of them is that they become poor in spirit, that they recognize their need for him. Mm -hmm. And that, again, is a, is, a, is a thing that is really hard to do. What I like, as you're talking about, 
as you're talking about Lectio Divina, as you're talking about um, some of these other contemplative practices you're talking about, here is a way, here's a, a place for me to encounter the divine in such a way that I might become aware of my great need for him. Yeah. And the, the kids that I find it's, it's on some ways easier to minister to, no, I don't think sh- this should be a surprise, but the ones it's easier are the ones that have had a tough time that, yeah. that it's, it's, they've had some sort of major obstacle in their life. But for those kids that are, you know, they have good parents and a good family and a, a, a good school and they're smart kids and they haven't struggled with anything. Those are the ones that's harder to really lead them into that place of being poor in spirit. I can teach them all they want. Like we just had a series on the Ten Commandments. And we finished it up this last Sunday. And, and I ended up by saying, guys, we've been talking about this for, for six weeks or whatever. And but the thing you have to understand is you have no hope. Like you can't do this on your own, like perfectly on your own. You're not going to be able to do that. And that's really hard. That's yeah. a really hard line to, to like thing to try to teach a student. It's like, here's all these things you should do and you're not going to do them. You're, you're going to screw some of them up in some way, Yeah. Uh, but you shouldn't stop trying, but you should also realize that because you can't do that, you really, really need Jesus. Right. The, um, at, at, it's it's the kind of thing that I, I can tell them that, and I did tell them that on Sunday, and we had a discussion about it on some level, but it's the kind of thing I'm going to have to keep sharing with them and and continue to bring up with them, that this is what we're doing. Yeah, I think about, like, in the past, I remember people talking about street evangelism or, like, videos of street evangelists, and their tactic was sort of, the the approach for sharing the gospel was to start with the Ten Commandments or talk about um, sin and the sort of agreed upon thing that you could get people to easily agree upon is like you you are a broken person. You know it. If you spend a little time thinking about it. Um, and I don't think that's true anymore. I don't think people can start off recognizing their own flawedness. And that's not, this isn't meant to be a sort of like the culture. Ah. It's just a yeah. recognition of, of the water we swim in. Right. And recognizing when you swim in the uh, a culture of constant... Um, stimulation where being bored is hard to do where um, where where like checking your phone all the time and I mean I do it too but like students grow up in an oversaturated overstimulated culture where they have no opportunity to even self-reflect how can they recognize their need for Jesus if if they never have to stop and even reflect on it I mean it's so much so this is my favorite article to bring up um, there was an article in the Atlantic last December it was like it was about the sex recession, they called it, about how our teenagers are having right. way less sex than generations beforehand. Um, teen pregnancy, I mean, all these numbers are down because they don't spend time with each other. And basically, teenagers aren't spending enough unstructured time together in order to, like, get into trouble. Like, they, <laughs> we, we've solved so it. So, wait, are you telling me we, we need our kids to be making out in the bus on the way to PYG? Again. I thought we said no to that. Let's talk about making out another episode because I have, again, I have thoughts about that. But hey, uh, and just in case you didn't know, that was in jest. <laughs> <laughs> but that th- part of these contemplative practices forces our students to spend a moment in the quiet and actually think about Jesus. And without any time to reflect, how are you possibly going to reflect on where you're messed up, where God is already working in your life. I mean, that's part yeah. of it. We we yeah. did a, 
we did a night where we talked about testimony and we just talked about, um, you know, the bunch of church kids and in an Anglican context where you're baptized as an infant, there's not as many conversion moments among my yeah. students, but um, giving them space and forcing them to think through what are the highs and lows of your life? Where have you felt mm. close and not close to God? Where has God acted in your life? Um, getting adults to ter- tell their stories of where God's acted in their lives helps them notice. And that first act of noticing is really important in an age of constant noise and distraction. Um, So one of the things that I think is important for us in identity formation is that their identities will form on autopilot unconsciously um, if we don't give them space to be bored together, if we don't give them space to step back and and, and have to reflect and say, you're going to have... 20 minutes to just sit and think and I'm going to give you a prompt and that's what we're going to do. Um, and, and I think a lot of times the, the water they swim in, the, the paths of identity formation they're going to be formed in are things that maybe we've already been formed in and we're unwilling to acknowledge. I mean, for me, I'll name consumerism and materialism as, um, as identities that Americans especially have an easy time being formed into without thinking. I think latent Gnosticism, this idea that myself is separate from my body, that my yeah. online self is my true self, um, mm. that I exist as my ideas. I think that is an identity that they get formed into without even thinking about it. Um, and the, the carefully curated Instagram self. And these are things that you can't easily say like, it is a sin to post on Instagram. You can't give that lesson, but if you help them do some reflecting work where they have to say, okay, who am I? What does, what does spending all day on Instagram feel like? When I go on a retreat and my phone's not with me, what does that feel like afterwards? How am I able to interact with God that way? Um, I think that's an incredible asset we can give to students because otherwise, how are they going to form their identities in Christ if they never have any time to even think about it? So your your comments about being bored make me think of on Palm Sunday to kind of kick off Holy Week. Mm-hmm. I led our youth group is on Sunday Sunday afternoons and so I led the students through um the stations of the cross. Mm-hmm. And when I do stations of the cross and it there's the there's a space in each of the little meditations for silence. Yeah. Like there's silence there. It's like mm-hmm. I'm, I, I try to make it almost uncomfortably. Long. I'm following the spirit. I really am trying to follow the spirit in yeah. the length of that silence. But it's 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 usually quite long un- and uncomfortably long for, for most of us. And we had a discussion. We, we, we went through this and, you know, we had a discussion afterwards. And I was trying to acknowledge the idea that, like, there's probably some times in this that you got bored. Yeah. And I wanted to create space for that, for, for kids to acknowledge that, yeah, we got bored in the midst of this. What I found myself questioning was, how do I take, take this idea of them being bored and create, turn that into an opportunity for the self-reflection that you're talking about? Because I think most of the kids just, yeah, I was bored. And yeah. we talked a little bit about what you can do when you get bored. But how do you lead them into, yeah, you're bored right now, and so you sh- therefore this is a time for you to 
spend some time because they don't know how they don't know how to self-reflect they haven't ever been bored like you're talking about they have their phone is constantly on they're constantly playing Fortnite. they're constantly playing the other games that they're playing they're watching youtube videos they're listening to music they're listening to me talk to them (laughs) they're not ever bored so how do we lead them how do we utilize that board boredom and teach them to utilize their own boredom yeah I, i mean i often tell students like look you might be praying and thinking through this stuff. A lot of my contemplative practices are prompted. Like a lot of them, yeah. there's yeah. specific instructions. You know, we do the examine. Ask the Spirit to help you do this today. Yeah. Um, go through your day. Go through it slowly. Now, this time, there's often a lot of instruction. Um, yeah. And that's really helpful. But mm-hmm. I often tell them, like, look, you might reflect on your day and be done and be done before anyone else is. And then just sit there. Like, I I almost give them permission to be bored to say, you know what, just try and think about this stuff. And if you run out of stuff, that's okay. Just sit and be quiet. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I want them to try and in those moments turn back. But it's almost like once I've given them a task to do and there's extra time, maybe they'll go back and run through their day again. Or maybe they've really run out of stuff and I kind of want to say, yeah, that's okay. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to shame you to like, no, be more intense. Think you need to like beef up your spiritual muscles. Like, I don't, I don't want to turn it into a like, get spiritually swole activity. Right. Well, you have to trust the spirit too. Yeah. If the spirit is leading them, the spirit is leading you as well. Yeah. And that, that makes me think of, again, this last Sunday in our, in our last, our last lesson on the Ten Commandments and talking about uh, the hopelessness that we have of of actually perfectly following and and our great need for Jesus and all those kinds of things. Yeah. And then there was some some space for quiet contemplation. I made some space at the end. We had ten or fifteen minutes where okay, we're just going to go sit and we're going to think about this and we're going to pray about it. And in the midst of it, I could tell a lot of kids were kind of like looking around. Well, what's going on here? I yeah. don't know what to do. And so I stood up and I basically led them through what it would be like to pray through these kinds of things. Hmm. So now do this. Yep. Um, ask God to bring that to mind. Um, share God. Share with God what how you're what you're thinking or how you're feeling about this. And it just wound up being kind of a me pastorally leading them through a prayer related to what we had been talking about um, or related to what God was bringing up in their heart and mind. And what, what I, what I enjoyed about it was I felt like, okay, I'm teaching these kids so many different things through this, teaching them how to listen for God's voice, teaching them how to pray, teaching them how to self-examine, like so many things that I was teaching them in that moment without actually having to like sit down and yeah. talk to them about it. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, what I'm often telling my students when we do these spiritual practices is like, you aren't doing junior spiritual practices. You aren't doing like kids versions of things. Um, he, there, there is no such thing as like adolescent spirituality. And then you're going to graduate into like full maturity. Right. Um, like when you're 18, like, Right. You you are in identity formation. You are starting this now. So it's an encouragement to sort of invest in this because this is the, you are forming who are you be, who you are becoming. You are starting the identity formation now 
and what you are like now, the things you build into now are who you will be later. Um, but then I also say like, look, I am, I'm participating as well. I think there's something really powerful in Bible study in contemplative practices in prayer to not be detached from what's going on. Um, I know there's some degree when you're running things, especially maybe when your group gets larger and there's logistics that as the leader, you need to go around and kind of make happen. You are primarily responsible for the experience happening the right way. So often if I've got music playing in the background, you know, I'm mindful of that and I'm checking that and things like that. But largely um, I'm telling them like, look, I'm bad at making space to do this in my own life. Like we are doing something. and, And you know what? When I've done spiritual disciplines with my youth group when i've done that kind of stuff with my group those have often been very productive times of prayer for me because right. it's hard for me to set aside 20 minutes to be silent right. um, because i also am constantly distracted and behind on all the netflix shows i want to watch so like I, I'm, I'm trying to model for them and the way i model for them is like yeah i'm doing this too and it was really good for me and then i try and even you know when we have times of sharing like here's a thing that stuck out to me i think Mm. if pastoral work is is as much showing them something to emulate i think having a little bit of vulnerability obviously there are there are principles by which you would not want to be entirely vulnerable in front of your students but but being able to say hey this is where god's working in my life um so that they see that the christian life isn't a matter of like well the pastor's got it figured out Right. And we're trying to get to be at his level. Mm-hmm. It's more like the pastor's on this journey, and this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Um, it, it's that difference between status and um, like compass heading in terms of right. thinking about spiritual life, right? We're yeah. hopefully we're helping them align their compasses more and more to true north, and hopefully as adult leaders and as pastors, our our compass heading is a little bit better tuned than theirs are. Um, Hopefully we are leading from a place of spiritual health. Um, Mm. But largely, it's not about like, come to my level. It's follow me on this journey that we're both walking together. Right. Um, Yeah, I I recently recently heard an illustration of what it means to be a Christian. And so oftentimes, especially, well, so oftentimes we think about that of, it's like this checklist. Do you believe these kinds of things? Have you said these kinds of prayers? Like, mm-hmm. can you put yourself in this category as opposed to that category? Yeah. Uh, I, I appreciated this illustration. This, th- I, I can't remember where this came from, um, but the illustration was what if we thought about being a Christian not in that way, but instead of which direction? If the center point is Jesus, right? If mm-hmm. he's the center point, there's all these all these places and all these distances from Jesus that we can be. And maybe you're right next to Jesus, but you're facing the other way and going in the other yeah. direction. Uh, that That is not a better place to be than the person who is way over here, but is moving toward Jesus. And to me, that was an incredibly helpful illustration that I, I try to use with my students whenever yeah. I can that this is what it me- what it means to be a Christian is to be moving towards Jesus, towards his goodness, towards his perfection, towards his beauty, toward towards everything that is him. And that's what it truly means to follow him, is to be moving towards him in some way. Uh, and that how close you are to him is is less important 
than whether or not you're moving in his direction. Yeah. And I think, again, it's that follower versus like status. Yeah. You know, there aren't, there aren't different belts in Christianity where like now I'm a green belt. There's not, there's not a ladder that you're climbing. There is just a, a following and, and a recognition. I like that, that you, the illustration you chose was maybe you're close to Jesus and facing the wrong direction, a full recognition that the the path of following Jesus is often rocky and filled with a non-linear yeah. progress. Um, right. And you may always learn more things and, and, and you know, know more about the Bible. But um, I tell my students, like, I went to Bible school and I'm a priest. I know too many priests and Bible students to think that it's a very obvious, the more you learn, the better you are as a Christian. Yeah. Like, I know too many priests who are jerks. I know too many Bible students who are jerks, too many Bible professors who are jerks um, to, to make this simple equation of like input more Jesus, get obvious output. Um, that wasn't a Eucharistic slight. That was a, yeah. that was a, <laughs> that was something else. Yeah. But the idea that it's nonlinear, I think is so important. Uh, and, and I think we need on some level, as as it is appropriate, we need to be sharing that yeah. that own part of our journey. Yeah. That that it is it isn't linear, and we don't have it figured out. Uh, we want to help them, and and maybe we're a little further down the road than they yeah. are, or we're whatever, and so therefore we can. There's ways that we can help them along, and that's why we're there to to be the youth pastor or whatever. Yeah. But but it doesn't mean therefore that we are. Yeah, whatever. I, yeah, I don't know I, exactly I th- how to put it. And any any way I think about how to put it just cheapens the whole idea. Hmm. Well, maybe we can talk about honesty, honesty and openness to our students and what how vulnerable you can be. Maybe that'll be another podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe we'll talk about that at the same time we talk about making out. <laughs> like how okay. That note. Well, let's, All right. on that note, Eric, do you, yes. do you have a college for us or do you want me to pray? I- I, I do have a collect, uh, um, but I've ended the last few. So if you had one that you really wanted to do. Um, you know what? I'll, I'll use the collect. This is the collect for the week after Easter four in uh, common worship. Okay. Um, so let's pray. Almighty God, whose son Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. Raise us who trust in him from the death of sin to the life of righteousness, that we may seek those things which are above where he reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, friends.